Welcome to Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by Ideas International Data Engineering and Science Association, Purdue Blockchain Lab, and Casabox. Our vision is to connect everyone in the blockchain industry and explore the most up-to-date news. We hope that this podcast will be educational, easy to understand, and inspirational for all of our listeners. Welcome to our show, Nicole. Oh, yes. Nice to be here. Nice to have you as our guest. So, first of all, would you please introduce yourself to our audiences and also share a story about yourself with the blockchain? Yes, so I'm Miko Matsumura. You can find out a little more at Miko.com, M-I-K-O. And I would love to talk a little bit about my first real dawning of exposure to this Bitcoin world, which is I went to my local cafe in Palo Alto, California, in the heart of Silicon Valley. And I was at this Koopa Cafe, and they had a Bitcoin checkout. So instead of paying with U.S. dollars, you could pay with Bitcoin. And of course, I didn't have any Bitcoin. So I was kind of like, I have to get Bitcoin. So I was very kind of amazed by this thing because I didn't really, I heard of it, but I didn't really think about it very much. So I ended up deciding to try mining. And so I went home on my computer and my goal of mining Bitcoin was to get enough Bitcoin to pay for a cup of tea. And it's very funny because at the time, it was quite a while ago, so I think it, it would probably be like a $500 cup of tea today if you, you know, had spent the Bitcoin. But I really failed. Like, I tried to mine Bitcoins on my PC at home, and it was very slow. Like, I was very slow at mining. I didn't really win any block races, and I was just kind of confused by the whole thing. And I had a lot of other things on my mind, so I stopped. Uh, and then... Years later, uh, a friend of mine convinced me to start what is now the Evercoin cryptocurrency exchange. And so, I, I, in a way, I was dragged back into crypto through my friend. But when I, when I really think back to when the first time I really was got, had any kind of serious feeling, it was really about the cafe and it was about buying the tea. You know, even though it was a failure, in a way, I feel like, you know, the kind of person that I am is I like to play with new things. So the idea of having a goal to buy a cup of tea, you know, it's just the excuse. It's to play with something new and be like, what is this? Who are you? What are you doing? You know, why are you in my life? And, you know, I just right. want to see what, what happens. That's very interesting. Since then, I heard your story and you have been with the blockchain for quite some time. So what kind of exciting projects have you been working on? So my big project is the Evercoin Exchange, and that is a way for... It's a bit like if you go to the airport and you need different kinds of money. If you're going to Japan, you need Japanese yen, and you just change it there. It's a bit like this kind of changing money, changing service that we have. And uh, I'm excited about that. I feel like the conversation around exchanges is really confusing. I think people are used to hearing about exchanges getting hacked and money being lost. And so I feel like we need to do better. Like the industry needs to build better exchanges. And I think we're really trying to build a better exchange. So I think that's our mood and mindset. So I'm excited about that. Another project I'm working on is I'm working on setting up a cryptocurrency investment fund in Japan. And I, Japan is an amazing crypto country. It, it has, if you look at the worldwide fiat currency, which is basically like Japanese yen or dollars or Deutschmarks, like all the normal currencies of the world, 
are being exchanged for Bitcoin. And if you look at the global volume, more than 55% of that fiat to Bitcoin exchange is happening in Japanese yen. So it means that Japan is a huge source of yen purchasing of Bitcoin more than any other country. And so I, you know, it has maybe 38% of the whole planet's exchange volume of all cryptocurrencies. So Japan is very much a crypto country and I'm excited to be doing more business there. Since uh, you have been with the crypto for such a long time, what do you see happening in the crypto space and what do you believe that's going to happen next? Yes, so I'm really excited about what's happening today. And I think right, what's happening is confusing people. People are very confused. The reason why I think they're confused is that we're in a huge transition. And the transition that crypto is in is we're transitioning between the early adopters. So the early adopters are like OG original Bitcoiners, right? Or they're crypto anarchists or crypto libertarians, you know? So they're really kind of a fanatical group of early people who maybe have huge amounts of Bitcoin that they bought for 10 cents, you know? And so this type of individual is, is kind of, they're very special and uh, very, they have a place of great respect, you know, in our, in our world, in our community. And I think they've been hugely rewarded uh, for that. Uh, I believe that the next phase is the phase of the early majority. And I think that phase is going to be really strongly regulated by governments. And I think it will, that regulation adds incredible credibility. So it really becomes almost like an institutionalized cryptocurrency. Governments will launch cryptocurrencies. You know, cryptocurrencies will become traded on, you know, exchanges. Recently, the CEO of the NASDAQ exchange said that they were contemplating putting cryptocurrencies onto NASDAQ. So like, you know, it's a very credibility enhancing stage. And the regulators are participating in that. So I mean, I think it's growing up as an industry and I think it's becoming much more mainstream. So I feel like that transition is definitely confusing a lot of people because, you know, they assume that things can't change so dramatically. And it's, it is changing dramatically. And I think some of those changes are causing people lots of concern. Like the intrusion of government regulators are kind of quashing some of the utopian fantasies of early Bitcoiners where they're imagining a world where all transactions are peer-to-peer -peer and completely anonymous, hidden from things like taxation, hidden from things like the government, you know. And I think what's happening in this new phase is that governments of the world are banding together around certain principles, including things like anti-money laundering. So the idea that anonymity is a core part of crypto, I think, has to be left behind to a large extent because we're moving into legitimacy. So we're moving into a place where everyone can participate and benefit from this new technology. Sounds like the market is getting mature at this point. I have one more question. Is there still a chance to become a crypto millionaire uh, with a small amount of money, you know, when we're facing so many changes just in the market right now? 
Yes, I think there's no question that uh, becoming a crypto millionaire is still a distinct possibility. Now, I think that um, it's important to balance your aspirations. Uh, you know, one of the things that's important to think about is asset allocation. So, you know, you don't want to put too much of your personal net worth at risk. So I think the question about starting with a small amount is actually the right idea. And to me, one of the things that's wonderful about this movement is that you can deploy an extremely small amount of capital, uh, you know, one USD or, you know, whatever it is. And if you're really clever about what you're doing, you can kind of double it or you can kind of keep doubling it or you, you can really have a lot of play action, especially in kind of low price coins. You can get a pretty sizable number of those, you know, but you really need to kind of learn the game and learn how to kind of play. But at the same time, you know, there's still a frontier of opportunity. And one of the things that happens with the emergence of an early majority is that you start to see big, big buyers coming and the institution buyers coming and with that volume and with that kind of absolute size of like over-the-counter buying, like there's a big lift. So I think in the current trend, we're seeing an uptrend in price of all cryptocurrencies tied to Bitcoin. And I think that's going to produce opportunities for people. But I do think people need to keep their balance and play smart. Nice. So you mentioned about uh, playing smart. That's a great uh, suggestion for anyone who's in the business. And you specifically mentioned about learn how to play the game and understand about the plan. But for people who hasn't really gotten too deep into this field, how should they start to learn about this game and about this whole plan? Yeah, so I do think that, you know, when I'm couching it as a game, I think that's an important mindset, which is whenever early technology appears, a lot of times the first adopters of any new technology are the gamers, right? And so the, the way that you can quote unquote play is really with low amounts, right? And when I say low amounts, I'm really talking about low for whoever it is that you are, right? So if you're already a normal billionaire, a low amount may appear as a large amount to other people, right? But if you're really just a student and you don't have very much, you're still allowed to play a small amount, right? Like you can do like $5 or whatever, like, oh, it's a lunch, you know, I'm going to skip lunch and maybe buy it cryptocurrencies, right? So, you know, why not? Because if you deploy a small enough amount, it becomes more game-like because the consequences of losing are much lower, right? Or it's like, oh, I lost. Like, oh, I went to zero. Like, that's fine, right? Because it becomes a learning experience, right? You get exposure and you start to be able to analyze because in a way, if you don't have those learning experiences, like how will you build the strength to kind of you know, develop and, and understand much more. Very interesting. You mentioned about the learning experiences, and we all know that in crypto investment, there's always a risk. So how do you manage the risk in when you invest in crypto, and how do you do it in the right way and avoid losing your entire savings just by doing this? 
changes? Yeah, so I think the first big thing is, is that if you are deploying all of your savings into crypto, like, I'm very scared. So for you, so to me, asset allocation is super important, which means what is the percentage of your investable net worth should you consider deploying? And I'm what they call a thesis investor, which is I think about what do I believe is happening? I believe that the world is shifting its weight onto a new financial infrastructure based on open source, decentralized money and open source financial infrastructure. And let's face it, like software is most money is already software. So if you go to Starbucks and you buy a coffee, you could be buying it with a Visa card and your credit card. Everything that's happening in your swipe or put the chip card, it's all software. Or you could go onto like Alipay or you could use Apple Pay or whatever WeChat and you're paying. And this payment, of course, is software. It's a different software. And if you pay by cash, it turns out that once the person puts the cash in the register, it's being recorded in a yet another software. So what I'm really suggesting is, is that uh, money is already software, and that what will happen is that open source software will increasingly compete and replace all of this infrastructure. So the reason why I'm going into so much detail is that's my thesis. My thesis is, is that open source software will replace closed source software when it comes to financial infrastructure. So all of those networks will be replaced by, I believe it will be, cryptocurrency. And the next phase of that adoption, in my thesis, is that cryptocurrencies will become part of the basket of global reserve currencies used to store value by governments in order to buy back their currency and keep their currency stable. So to stabilize the currency, they're holding a basket of other currencies that will include cryptocurrencies. If that thesis comes to pass, then Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies should amass a $10 trillion value, which is maybe a hundred times of where it is today. So, you know, there's a huge room for the possibility of growth. But then what you have to think is, what are the odds of such a future? So if you think that the odds of a 100x increase is 1%, then maybe you should take 1% of your investable money and put it into crypto or crypto portfolio. And if that 1% doesn't pan out, you haven't really damaged yourself. Like you're, you know, you lost 1%, that's a shame. Honestly, I think the likelihood that it goes to zero is very low because the behavior we're seeing is we're seeing the behavior of someone who's testing and putting their weight on a new infrastructure. And it's not like, if people say it's like a tulip mania, and if it were like a tulip mania, the price would go sky high, then it would crash down to zero, close to zero. Tulips still have some value. But it would never come up again. 
It would never come back. What you're seeing is you're seeing a person who's testing. And what it means is that they're putting more weight into crypto, into Bitcoin, and then they're pulling the weight out because it's a store of value. And they're testing if it can store. And so what does testing if it can store mean? It means that you have to put some in, and then you have to see if you can take it out again. But then what do you see? Then what you see is you actually put in even more, and then you take out even more. And then you see, so what you're seeing with the price of things like Bitcoin is you're actually seeing it go up, and then you see it go down again. But the thing that's weird is then you see it go up even higher, and then you see it go down again, right? To me, it's exactly like someone who's testing their weight on a new platform or a new plank, and they're shifting. And at the moment, if you think about it as that shift, the person has shifted 1% of their body weight onto this new infrastructure. Because if you look at the total size of the global economy versus the value of cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies are still very small relative to, so it's several hundred billion USD small compared to the global financial infrastructure that we're used to. Nice, very nice. Uh, one last question. I know you are a very experienced advisor in the uh, crypto space. So we have heard of so many you know, white paper issues. So what kind of issues have you seen in the white papers in the crypto and what kind of suggestions would you give to all the founders in the crypto space? Yeah, so going back to white papers, the whole thing started with Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin, launched Bitcoin with a white paper. And if you look at the Bitcoin white paper, it's really originally like an academic, peer-reviewed computer science journal article, right? It describes a system, right? The thing that has really gotten bananas is Satoshi Nakamoto did not launch an ICO using that white paper. So the thing that's crazy that's happening with white papers is, is white papers are becoming the equivalent of private placement memoranda, which are, you know, securities instruments, and they're becoming the equivalent of like an S1 filing, which is what you file when you're going to an IPO. And when you think about the gap between what Satoshi published and what people file to the Securities and Exchange Commission as a regulatory filing in preparation for a public offering of stock, it's a huge gap, right? And so I think what is happening as we mature is we're starting to really now understand the responsibility of the authors. We're starting to see that white papers are increasingly going through legal review because what you're doing with a white paper is you're setting expectations to owners of tokens, which are generally seen by the regulators as securities. So you're really selling securities using your white paper, and that's the trouble, which is that if you don't understand that responsibility, you're going to set false expectations, and you're going to create angry token holders which generally doesn't lead to a good place. Very nice suggestions. Uh, we're about to end with a parting piece of guidance and the best way we can connect with you. So if there's any uh, way to contact with you after this podcast, uh, please share it with our audience. And if you have any resources um, you know, 
to help our uh, blockchain enthusiasts grow in this space, please share. As well. Yes, yeah, so I have two resources that I would love to share. The first resource is a resource about Bitcoin. And it is a book called The Book of Satoshi. Very interesting book. And it also is available as an audiobook on audible.com. So this is an amazing collection of emails by Satoshi Nakamoto. And it's the creator of Bitcoin using email. And you get an amazing insight into the genius designer of Bitcoin. And even if you're not technical, you can still understand how Satoshi must have felt. So for example, there are emails about WikiLeaks is now using Bitcoin because PayPal blocked them because the government is angry at WikiLeaks. You know, and now Julian Assange, the head of WikiLeaks, is using Bitcoin and Satoshi's mad. We don't need the negative publicity. We're just a small open source software project. Like, it's so interesting to hear what is Satoshi thinking? I highly recommend the book of Satoshi. The second one that I recommend is a book by someone who doesn't really like or believe in cryptocurrencies, which is a man by the name of Jason Kalkanis, who wrote a book called Angel. And when you read the book Angel, it reveals Jason Kalkanis' formulas for successfully angel investing. And it is the exact formula that he used to invest in uni unicorn companies like Uber, and others, so tremendous, tremendous angel investor, very, very successful, and his formula is revealed in the book called Angel. So, and the author is Jason Kalkanis. So, I highly recommend that for anyone who's even thinking about ICO investment, because ICO investment can be viewed as angel investment. And what you begin to understand by listening to this book on audio or reading it is you begin to understand how important the team is and how everything is riding on the team. And then you really are able to make good judgments instead of just like, you know, reading a white paper and then, you know, people don't understand in crypto investing is investing, which you should think of it as you're handing a bag full of cash to someone that you never met, which is in almost all cases true. Like, you know, most people haven't even met the people that they're investing in. Kind of nuts. I generally prefer to meet the people, but in some ways I feel fortunate. I'm going to crypto events and I'm meeting the people that I'm investing in. But at the very least, if you imagine you're handing a bag of cash to someone, you should find out, maybe watch them on YouTube, or you should find out more. Like, please study who those people are. So in order to, if you want to get in contact with me or find out more about what I'm working on, you can just go to miko.com, M-I-K-O.com. That's my website. Uh, at the moment, I think there are 14 advisory clients that I'm working with that are there. And that will give you at least a feeling of the things that I like. Uh, I tend to like financial services, I tend to like gaming, and I tend to like social sharing and gig economy. I'm not a big social media person, uh, but I do like sort of social networks as the hub for building a community. So I think those are my 
things. And you know, my mood is I'm an open source money uh, maximalist. So I'm very into open source projects, and I think those are the types of things that I enjoy the most. Thank you very much for hanging out with us. We are honored to have you as our guest. Thanks for following up with us today. Blockchain Insights podcast is co-produced by Ideas International Data Engineering and Science Association, Purdue Blockchain Lab, and Castbox. Please subscribe to our show on castbox.fm/blockchainlab and leave a comment there if you have any questions.